joined us today. Would you stand and worship with us this morning?
put on this garment of praise and sing. This is how I find my battles. Sing that line. This is how I fight my battles. This is how I fight my battles when we worship you, Lord. This is how I fight my battles. It's when you think you're lost. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. It may look like I'm surrounded, but I'm surrounded by you. This is how, this is how I This is how we 
uh, every single one of us has something going on. Nobody's got the perfect life. Nobody has everything working out just perfectly. We all have things that we come to church thinking about and bringing burdens. And I feel like this song is like the perfect song to sing and repeat over and over. I don't care how sick I get of it because this is how, uh, God, I, this is how I fight. This is how I, I win. This is how I, I find you in these moments and I find you, we find you. God, when we worship you, when we call out to you, there's something you do in your mercy. You allow your children to be heard. Yeah, so we all got stuff we bring today. We don't leave it at the door. We bring it with us. We set it at the foot of the cross and say, God, would you, would you help work in this, in this battle, in this thing I'm praying through? So, Lord, today's your day. What would you like to do today, we ask? We come with plans and a service on paper that we've prepared all week. But God, what would you like to do in these moments? We've heard from you earlier in the week, and we've had some moments where we feel like, God, this is what you want for your people. But God, what would you have to say today? Would you help us find that little kernel of something that uh, we can lean in on? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Glad you're here. Hey, uh, just for a second, while you're standing, uh, say hi to somebody around you. We'll see you back in a second. Thanks. Well, I actually saw it happen a couple of times. It's called turnstile rejection syndrome during the greeting moments. It's where you turn to shake a hand just at the exact moment that person turned the other direction. <laughs> Rim shot added, nice. My name is Bill Hobson and I'm part of the Hopevale family just like you. We are so glad that you're here today and I have a few announcements to share with you starting with this box, an Operation Christmas Child, which is our church's opportunity to partner with Samaritan's Purse and send a gospel message of hope to children around the world. In fact, just a few moments before this service, I don't know where he is in here, but my buddy Terrell dropped off this box. And it's going to go to a boy ages five to nine. There's lots of good stuff in here. And you have one more week to be a part of Operation Christmas Child. And so at the conclusion of the service today, if you would please stop by the table in the, uh, in the lobby and take a box and then do a little family shopping trip, because that is a wonderful teaching opportunity about what it's like to share the love of Christ with someone who needs to hear that awesome message of hope. Today, we have a special invitation for those of you who are looking for a chance to learn more about Hopevale. You want to know more about what happens here, what the church believes and have all your questions answered. And at 12.30 in the venue, we have a get-together called Getting to Know Hopevale. And I still remember when my wife and I attended about eight years ago, how important it was to have those questions answered. We did not, however, get pizza. <laughs> I'm still a little bitter. But today they'll, they'll provide lunch for you as well. And uh, we really encourage those of you, especially who are in the maybe your first week or a few weeks of visiting Hopevale, 
to take advantage of that and stop by and visit. You don't have to register ahead of time. We'd be happy to have you. And yes, there's enough lunch for everybody. This past week, many of you in this auditorium took part in one of the great American freedom rituals called voting. And no matter how you feel about what happened, here's what I do know. We are blessed here in this service to have heroes among us who have fought and served to give us the right to vote free from fear. It's Veterans Day. And I would like to invite all of the men and women who have served or are serving this great nation, would you please stand so that we can say thank you? Yeah. Amen. Oh, the stories you must have. What a privilege it is to gather in a free worship service where we can now, as the ushers come forward, say to the Lord, thank you. Thank you for all the blessings of life. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness. And thank you for a chance to be part of ministry through our tithes and our offerings. And if you'll join me, I'd like to pray that the Lord will use what you're about to do to his glory. Lord, we gather here today with thankful hearts. We gather free from fear. We gather in a free nation. And we gather for the purpose of drawing closer to you. So I want to lift up those who come here today with heavy burdens. And I also want to ask for your blessing on this offering that you would use our gifts back to you in ways greater than we could ever even imagine. We commit these moments to you, Lord, these, these acts of worship in your name. Amen. Thanks, Bill. Hey, well, I'm Billy. I'm the worship pastor here, friends, and uh, glad you're here. Thanks for giving today and um, these moments um, and saying thank you, God, um, for all that he's done. So um, there's a song we've been singing for the last few weeks. It's got this line. It says, I'm not enough unless you come and you meet me here. So let's worship God today and tell him that. Take us in, Mike.
the sun shaping the shadow you come, will you meet me here again? 
So God, thank you for coming to this place, for hearing the cry of your child, saying, God, I need you. And so whether we feel you here or not, um, you're here. You're omnipresent. You're always here. And access to you is always available. Sometimes we feel you more powerfully, maybe because we reach out to you more powerfully. Help us to not be a people who sit and await your arrival, but to be a people who run after you passionately and really desire to hear you and hear your voice. So that's our prayer today, God. Would you speak while we run? In your name, amen. God bless you, friends. Have a seat. Good morning, everyone. I'm Dan Davis, uh, senior pastor here at Hopewell. Wonderful to share this morning of worship with you. For those of you joining us in Bay City as well this morning, great to have you along. Hey, before I get to the message, I want to introduce Paul and Bobby Miller. Paul uh, joined us on staff this August as our executive pastor. Yeah, August back before the snow, right? Yeah. But between the fullness of the fall and then the Millers navigating a move from Texas to Michigan, we're finally getting around to this. So it's great to have you on board. Thank you. Yeah. And so, Paul, uh, this role of executive pastor is new to us at Hopel. So tell us what that means and what an executive pastor does. Yeah, I think probably the quickest, easiest way to describe the role of executive pastor would be to use the term chief of staff. I think we all kind of have a general idea of what that means. So I get to spend my time here at Hopevale mostly behind the scenes, um, leading staff, strategic leadership, organizational leadership kind of stuff, uh, management, coaching, um, aligning ministries, all that kinds of stuff, aligning Hopevale around its mission, right? To help people in know and follow Jesus. In fact, I can give you a great example, right? Many of you know that uh, we just recently sent Kyle and Stephanie Fletcher to North Carolina, which means we have two staff positions open that we're working to fill right now. So I get to work with Steve Fletcher, our Bay City campus pastor, and Sam Burke, our next-gen pastor, as we work to fill those two roles. So I'm coaching those guys on what are we looking for, what is the right type of person that might be God's next in those roles here at Hopevale, uh, going to work with the board to help them understand what we're thinking when we say a term like student ministries pastor, what are we looking for, etc. talking to our finance team to make sure we can afford all of this stuff, right? 
there's nothing like the local church when it's working, when the bride of Christ is doing what she does, right? Inviting people to know and follow Jesus. And it's my privilege to serve in this role. Yeah, when you say there's nothing like a local church when it's working well, I think last Sunday and the baptism Sundays, both here in Saginaw and Bay City are evidence of that and evidence of this really being a team effort, you know, with everyone in the church. So, yeah. Absolutely. So, Bobby, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your family. You've got a pretty big tribe, don't you? Yeah, we do. We have a couple kids. Um, <laughs> I grew up in West Michigan, so Michigan's home. Um, but I'm excited to explore the east side. That's all new. Um, and it's really cold here. <laughs> Didn't realize we kind of lost some of our thick skin when we lived in Dallas for 15 years. But, um, yeah, so we have um, five kids. Two of them are here, um, but they're hiding back there somewhere. They were adopted from Rwanda, Africa, 10 years, three months, and one day ago. Wow. Who's counting? I do. <laughs> Blessed every minute of it. So that's Rose and Paul. Rose is 15. She's a freshman at Swan Valley. And Paul is 13, and he's a seventh grader at Swan Valley. And um, then we have Jacob, who uh, just is a freshman at OSU, but the orange and black OSU. They're in Oklahoma. <laughs> and um, yes, and then Jessica just got married in April. Uh, to Josh. She's now a Jones instead of a Miller. She didn't travel too far up or down the alphabet. Um, and they live in Atlanta, Georgia, and he's attending law school. So they're there. And then Jared is our oldest. He's 24. <laughs> I'm obviously not counting that one. Um, he's 24, I think, or about to be 24, and he's in Kauai, Hawaii. Um, he served in a I don't know what it's called, something there for a year after college, and now he's a fitness instructor, trainer, made his way into that industry there. So he's coming home for Christmas. So excited to see him. So that's us. We're in um, Thomas Township, and we really look forward to getting to know all of y'all and serving all of you guys <laughs> and serving, <laughs> serving with you and uh, doing life and just getting to know you. Be great. Yeah, Be blessed to be tremendous. here. <laughs> that's tremendous. Hey, so what I would love for us to do together as a church family is just take a moment and pray for Paul and Bobby and their families, thanking the Lord for bringing them to us and just for God's hand of blessing upon their ministry and their time with us. So let's pray together. God, we do thank you that you are the God who meets us at our point of need. I mean, it all starts with Jesus and his amazing grace. But then as Paul said, it extends to the bride, the church. And God, we thank you for this church called Hope Valley. We thank you for every person who's a part of it. We thank you for our wonderful staff. And we thank you that when you saw that the time is right, you brought Paul and Bobby and their family to us. So we pray you would fill them with your spirit. You would encourage their hearts with the peace of Christ. Help them just sink their roots deeply into this community as they serve and love in the name of Jesus. And may this truly be a church family that wraps its arms of love and care and prayer around them and that they would sense that we are truly with them and truly for them, just as you are, Lord. So we give this to you, praying, God, that you will lead us as a church to continue 
to carry out your work of inviting people to know and to follow Jesus with us. What a joy, what a privilege it is. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So thank you. Yeah, I'm talking to Paul this week. I said, Paul, I can't believe the snow came first before we finally pulled this off, but it was great to have Paul and Bobby on board and their family and just love what God is doing here at Hopewell. Well, today and next week, we're going to explore what it means for us as believers in Jesus Christ to live open-handed, to live large-hearted in a series we're calling Contagious generosity. Contagious generosity. And to be upfront, a lot of what we're going to look at has to do with money. Money and specifically giving to the local church. That's something that we're going to do today and next week. And so my heart is that we would do this in a way that is honoring to God and respectful to you. As long-timers here have often heard me say on this subject, at Hopevale, we want to avoid the two extremes that church, uh, churches often fall into when it comes to talking about money and giving, that either on the one hand, they always talk about it, or on the other hand, they never talk about it. Always and never, that either you have the, the churches that every week there is one more impassioned than maybe manipulative plea from the pulpit saying give to the Lord or specifically give to my ministry, right? Or on the other hand, they never talk about it for fear of being too offensive, always and never. I would like to think that there is a place in between the always and the never. And the reason I'd like to think that is both personal and collective, that on the personal side, you know, we need to talk about money, wealth, possessions, and generosity, because Jesus talked about money, wealth, possessions, and generosity, and he did so quite a bit. Why? Well, he knew that our attitudes and our actions towards money directly affect our spiritual health. They affect our spiritual maturity, both for the good and the bad. Jesus knew that if we don't get a handle on money, money will get a handle on us. And then on the collective side, we as a church family need to talk about uh, money, why? Because that's what healthy families do, right? That's what healthy families do. We know, right, from the research that the number one thing couples often fight about is money, right? Because there's a lack of health and understanding. No, healthy families talk about money because it affects their priorities, their decisions, their choices. I mean, you and I know that with every spending yes, there are another 10 spending no's. I mean, that was certainly our case in launching Hopevale Church in Bay City this past year, right? An exciting opportunity in line with our mission as this community of grace and truth to invite others to know and follow Jesus with us. And so far, we're off to a great start. But here's the thing. The decision also meant that we had to hold off on some choices in Saginaw, right? Because just like a family, unless you have unlimited funds, you can't do everything all at once, personal and collective. And so I'm okay that we're going to take two weeks to talk about contagious generosity, and I hope you are as well. And to get things started, I want to share with you a Bible verse from the Old Testament book of Proverbs. Proverbs, this collection of God-given practical wisdom 
that speaks to virtually every area of our lives. You look in Proverbs and it talks about things like marriage, parenting, relationships, emotion, anger, jealousy, greed, laziness, mercy, justice, forgiveness, reconciliation, planning, guidance, advice, decision-making, and yes, money. You name it, it's all in there in Proverbs. And the verse, though, that I want to share with you today has to do with being generous. So here's King Solomon, about a thousand years before the time of Christ. Why is this man in the world during his lifetime? And in Proverbs 11, verse 25, he writes this, a generous person will prosper, whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. A generous person will prosper, whoever refreshes others will be Refresh. In other words, generosity is a win-win proposition, that when we are generous with what God has entrusted to us, it not only blesses the other person that we share with, but it also blesses us. That there is a prospering, there is a refreshing that happens when we go through life open-handed rather than tight-fisted. And so what does it mean when God says, we'll prosper? Or maybe I should say, what does it mean and what does it not mean? See, unfortunately, a passage like this, you'll often see preachers take this to support something called a quote-unquote prosperity gospel. Give your money to the Lord and he'll give it right back to you tenfold as if being generous is some get-rich-quick investment pyramid scheme, right? But Solomon never intended this proverb to be used that way. See, this isn't about why you should be generous, that there's something in it for you if you give. No, it's not about the why, it's about when you are generous, you need to know that it will enrich your life as well. It will. And that's kind of counterintuitive because being generous means that we've got to fight against our fears. It means we've got to take God at his word so that when it comes to our money, even though the temptation is to live tight-fisted rather than open-handed, true wisdom actually teaches the opposite, that it is our, in our generosity, not our greed, that will prosper us and refresh us in the end, a prospering that is so much more comprehensive than just the size of our bank account, right? A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. God sees, God honors, God rewards our generosity. But if that's what wisdom teaches about generosity, how does it work, right? If this passage isn't about giving something so we can get something in return, then what does prospering and refreshing look like in our lives when we're generous? Well, I'm sure God can come up with a lot of things because he's God and I'm not, right? But for me, when I think about that refreshing, that prospering, two things immediately come to my mind and how generosity prospers us. The generosity, right, Generosity grows our heart for people, and generosity frees our heart from stuff. Generosity grows our heart for people. It makes us more loving when we're generous. And generosity frees our heart from stuff. It makes us less 
fearful and worried about material possessions. And this is true no matter how much or how little, time and time again. I think most of us have seen enough of life to know that having more doesn't necessarily make us better or more joyful people. I feel like I see this every time when we have people come back from a missions trip in a third world setting, how they say these people with relatively little resources live these contagiously joyful lives. And regardless of the setting, regardless uh, of where we live, the same is true with us as well. Our hearts grow. Our hearts are freed, right? See, God has our best in mind, and he is far more concerned with who we become compared to how much we have. And so a big part of our growth, our maturity as Christians, is that we would become more lovely, loving. We would become less fearful, the kind of people who are expressing love, who are exuding contentment regardless of how much or how little we have. That generosity grows our heart for people and it frees our heart from stuff. That is the prospering. That is the refreshing that we experience when we are generous. And I hope that resonates with you, but beyond the principles for us as Christians, the compelling motivation to be generous goes back to our Savior, Jesus Christ, both with his grace to us and his example for us. In the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul speaks very frankly and very positively on this whole idea of us being generous with our resources. And so as Paul appeals to Christians, he actually points to Jesus as a role model for our generosity. Jesus, now we'll look at what Paul says in the moment, but I'm going to ask you a question before we do. And here's the question. Don't, don't give me your answer out loud. Do you think Jesus was generous? Do you think Jesus was generous? Like I said, you know, that's kind of a loaded question to ask in church because I don't think any of us is going to stand up and say, yeah, no, I don't think Jesus was generous, right? Fear for the lightning bolt, you know, coming through the roof, right? But deep down inside, you might be wondering, I don't know. I mean, after all, Jesus wasn't wealthy, came from a family of modest means. He didn't have a lot himself. So from a worldly standpoint, he wasn't rich. Yes, he did heal many people, but there really aren't many stories in the Bible about him giving money away, about him sharing material resources with those in need, right? So do you think Jesus was generous? Well, the Apostle Paul certainly did, but he answered that question from a much bigger perspective than just worldly wealth. Look at what Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you see what Paul does here? He calls Jesus rich. Why be generous? Because Jesus, from an ultimate, eternal, spiritual sense, was incredibly and infinitely generous to us, Paul says. We, in turn, as those who experience it, are called to express that same generosity. And look what Paul does here. He doesn't appeal to Jesus of Nazareth, the one who walked this earth with little to no means at all. 
No, he appealed to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who reigns in heaven, the one who possesses glorious riches. See, the story of Jesus goes like this. Before a Bethlehem manger, he lived in all eternity past with God the Father, with God the Holy Spirit. They reigned together in glory and power. Jesus had it all. He had it all. And yet he wasn't tight-fisted, clinging to what he had. That though he was rich, in coming to this earth, he became poor. So that we, through his poverty, the life that he lived, the death that he died, the sacrifice that he made, that we might become rich in his grace. That we might experience the priceless blessings of his salvation, his forgiveness, right? This is the generosity that Jesus poured out on us. Generosity that he didn't have to, but out of his love he chose to. And so with an example like this, we as Christians are called to follow in his footsteps. For you know, you have experienced, Paul tells us, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, so that I, so that we, through his poverty, might become rich. And so with this invitation to generosity that we see in Proverbs, along with this example of generosity that we see in our Savior. How do we make generosity more a part of our lives? Well, a couple things I, we need to understand about becoming a generous person. Like, I don't know, like if you were sitting right now thinking, am I or am I not a generous person and how you'd answer that question, I don't know. But I think there are a couple things we need to know on the journey of becoming a more generous person. And along the way, there are some misconceptions that we need to overcome. So two big principles I want to share with you. The first is this, that it doesn't matter how much or how little we have, anyone can become a generous person. It doesn't matter how much or how little we have, anyone can become a generous person. It would be a crime if some of you were listening here today and thinking that I was talking about just people who have more than you have. That to be generous requires a certain level of income and that once you reach that level of income, then you can start being generous with others. Now that is missing the mark completely. See, the key with generosity is not how much you have, rather it's what you do with what you have. It doesn't matter how much or how little we have, anyone can become a generous person. In other words... It's about our attitudes rather than our assets. It's about our actions rather than our amounts. Please, please, please don't think this doesn't apply to you because it does. Doesn't matter how much or how little you have, anyone can become a generous person. Now, some of you might be thinking about Pastor Dan. My financial life is a total train wreck. There's nothing in my bank account. I'm in debt deeply. I live paycheck to paycheck. I can never get ahead. How can I even begin to think about being generous, right? About giving away money to help those in need, to give money to the church. And, you know, without knowing any of your personal details, I'm sure that for some of you, you feel that sense of, of hopelessness, right? Here's what I'd say to that, that becoming a generous person includes what we do with our finances, but it isn't limited to our finances, the generosity includes what we do with our finances and our willingness to share, but it doesn't mean it's limited to our finances. 
Recently, a fellow church member shared with me a study, uh, some research done by a Christian-based group called Thrivent Financial, and I love their whole approach on this concept of generosity and thinking about how we as believers in Jesus Christ can live generous lives. They identified not just one, but five different areas that we can be generous Monetary giving, it's what we're talking here, right? Giving to the local church, giving to causes that we want to see make a difference in the world. Serving, volunteering, that was all last month with our Find Your Fit series, right? And using the time and talents we have to serve other people both within and beyond the four walls of this church. Expressing hospitality, Generous with our spirit, generous with our time, whether it's actually opening our homes and inviting people in or it's simply expect, expressing kindness in a rather cruel world. Sharing gifts. So these are tangible resources, right? Non-monetary gifts. I mean, Operation Christmas Child and what we're doing as a church is a great example of that. Filling a shoebox with items to send overseas, or locally at home. It's, it's donating clothes, it's giving a household item to someone else in need that you, you know, no longer have need for that item. And then emotional, relational support. Right, this is being generous with your time, with your emotion, with your energy, with your empathy, sitting down, listening, caring, encouraging, supporting those who are hurting, right? There is a comprehensive view on what it means to live generously that includes monetary giving, but is not just limited to monetary giving, right? And see, what I love about this list is that it isn't limited to the wealthy, that even if you are struggling financially, there are other ways you can begin to become more generous, expressing the same grace to others that you yourself have received from Jesus. My point is this, it doesn't matter how much or how little we have, anyone can become a generous person. Anyone can move towards experiencing that refreshing, that prospering we read about in Proverbs. And then second, the other big principle I want us to understand is this, that becoming a generous person doesn't happen by accident or overnight. No, we must practice generosity on purpose. Doesn't happen on accident or overnight. No, we must practice generosity on purpose. See, oftentimes when we talk about generosity, there's a temptation to stay comfortable and keep it on a theoretical and practical level, right? Like we like the concept the feeling of being generous. And so we get to this point and I'd say, okay, being generous is a good thing, so this week I want you to go out there and be more generouser, right? You know, is that a word? I don't know, generouser er er See, here's the thing. Yes, generosity is a noble value. Generosity produces good feelings, but in the end, generosity is action. It's something we actually do. We actually give our money away. We actually show up on a Sunday and serve other people. We actually express hospitality and have people into our homes. We actually let someone have the fridge we no longer need. We actually support a friend by sharing a couple hours over a cup of coffee, right? 
Becoming a generous person doesn't happen by accident or overnight. We must practice generosity on purpose. And while this is true in all five of those areas and expressions of generosity, I do want to spend our time focusing on that first one, on monetary giving and specifically giving to support the ministries of Hope Health Church. Now, the Bible talks a lot about our giving to the Lord through the local church and what it should look like. But what it doesn't do is it doesn't give us a bunch of rules to guilt us into doing it, nor does it necessarily give us a specific dollar amount on how much we should give. Now, for some of you who've maybe been in the church scene for a while, you might be wondering, well, well um, what about the tithe, right? What about the 10% of the church? Doesn't the Bible teach that? Well, yes, it is in the Bible, but no, it is not the primary standard for us as Christians living under the new covenant when it comes to our giving. See, actually, Jesus has a better standard for us. Now, I'll talk more about the tithe in a moment, but let's go back to the words of the Apostle Paul in the New Testament book of 2 Corinthians. When he talks to Christians about our expressions of generosity through financial giving. So going to the next chapter of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, Paul says this, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Who else, whoever sows generously will also reap generously. I think this is Paul just dipping back into Proverbs, Proverbs 11, like we saw about a generous person will prosper. He's just echoing that principle again, that there is an enriching, there is a rewarding, there is a blessing to how we live, the quality of our life when we live generously. Next verse. Each of you, because of that, each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love how freeing this passage is. And I hope you get the sense of that freedom as well, right? Each of you should give what Pastor Dan tells you to give. No. The elders, the finance department, that flamboyant teacher on, 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 on TV, right? No. The freedom is this. Each of you should give what you, you and the Lord, no one else telling you what to do, should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Do you feel the, the freedom of that? And in case we're still feeling, oh God, we've got all this baggage from the past, Paul adds this, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, not having our arms twisted, not having the guilt poured out upon us, not having the manipulation that you know, tragic things are gonna happen if we don't give, right? No. No. Instead, Paul says, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's not saying that, you know, God loves cheerful givers and he hates stinsy people. He's just saying God loves it when we give cheerfully, when we give joyfully, when we give out of a place of grace. See, that's what it all comes down to. In the end, it all comes back to grace because you know, because I know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. True generosity should then just be an overflow of that grace. Starts with a place of grace, not guilt. Place of pleasure, not pressure. A place of joy, not jealousy. Why? Because you and the Lord and no one else have decided in your heart 
what to give. That is this principle of foundation. It's a foundation of freedom when it comes to our giving. But then building upon that foundation, there are three other steps I want to share with you when it comes to putting into action purposeful financial generosity and giving to the Lord through the local church. Three principles. I'll walk you through these, and, and that's how we'll wrap up. But, you know, as I do, I realize, I mean, as I look you know, in the auditorium today, as I think about those of you in Bay City, I realize we're all at different starting points today, right? That many of you already give regularly and sacrificially here at Hopevale, and it is such a blessing to me as a pastor to be a part of a church like this. Now, just to be clear, I don't know what anyone gives to this church, but I do know this, that this church is a generous church. Some of you may give, but it may be more sporadic and nominal, right? A little here when the feeling strikes you, a little there when you happen to think about it, but it's nothing consistent. Still, others of you might not give anything at all, right? Maybe it's because you're struggling financially. Maybe it's because you never learned about that before in your past, or maybe you're getting over some hurts that at some place in your past, the church mishandled your finances, and there's still some deep wounds there. Like, whatever it is, I get that, but regardless of where you might be today, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to prayerfully consider what purposeful steps in your life towards generous giving to the Lord through Hopevale might look like. Again, I say that not as guilt, not as manipulation. I say that not so there's competition and comparison in the church. No, this is about you deciding in your heart what to give and then actually doing something about it. And so I hope these Three steps will help you in that process of once you've decided, where do you go from there? So the first is this, right? Make giving a priority. priority. The priority principle says that, that giving to the Lord should be our first commitment and not our last option. Our first commitment and not our last option. In other words, it is a yes, not a maybe, not a we'll see. And this priority Forgiving finds its roots going back to the Bible in the Old Testament with something known as first fruits giving. That centuries ago, in a more agrarian world of Old Testament times, God commanded his people to give what was called first fruits offerings, which meant that whatever they were growing in their fields that year, they were to take the crops from their first harvest, the first fruits, and bring those to the central place of worship to give to the Lord. See, back then, reaping of the crop, that first reaping was considered to be best of the harvest. So the idea is this, that God deserves our best, not our leftovers, right? And this priority principle keeps us from procrastinating, from waiting to the end of the week, the end of the month, the end of the paycheck to see if we have anything left over for God. Because guess what? We're always going to have something, right? Some obligation, some commitment, some unexpected surprise, and if we wait to see, you know, whatever is left over, it's not going to happen. That's the way it works. But trust me, if you don't make your giving to the Lord an upfront priority, there are always going to be other things clamoring for your resources. So make your giving to the Lord a priority. That's the first step. Here's the second. Pick a percentage Pick a percentage that when you decide in your heart, that when you make your plan, when, when you create a budget, it's a good thing to have a specific number in mind to be committed 
to giving. It's not, you know, waking up every morning, every Sunday going, okay, what should I do this week? As if it's something you have to re-decide and re-hear from the Lord all the time. And see, this is where the discussion about tithing comes in. And I get that question a lot from people. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with the term, the, the term tithe comes from the Bible and actually means 10%. It's really not all that sophisticated. 10%, 10% of income, 10% of earnings. Or in the case of Old Testament time, 10% of the harvest. And it was the first 10%. Right? You see this mentioned a lot, especially in the Old Testament, going all the way from the third book of the Old Testament, Leviticus, to the very last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. Now let's face it. I mean, think about this for a moment. That when you do the math, when you think about a tithe or 10% of all that you have, that is a huge amount of money. It really is, right? 10% isn't an afterthought. 10% isn't just opening up your wallet and seeing whatever you have there to throw into the offering plate. No, 10% has to come from a plan. 10% is purposeful. You feel 10%. I was thinking about doing the math on this, right? And I realize we're all in different places. But let's say, right, your average household income was $50,000. I realize we have people under that. I realize we have people over that. But just because I didn't want complicated math, I picked $50,000, right? 10% of that is what? 5000 right? On a monthly basis, that's a little over $400 a month. Wow, that's a really good car payment. It's a nice chunk of rent, of mortgage. If you have kids in college, that helps with tuition. If you want to buy toys for kids or grown-ups, you can do a lot with $5,000, right? Is that the figure we're supposed to work with? I mean, is that really realistic in 2018? Well, yeah, sort of, right? See, again, Christians aren't required under the new covenant, like God says you must give 10% or else as if misfortune is going to curse your life if you don't, right? On the other hand, I think there is a principle there to give us a number to shoot for because otherwise, I don't think we'd come up with anything close to that. Most research will tell you that average giving among Christians in America today is somewhere between 3 to 4% of total income. 3 to 4%, which means if you're doing the math and some people are giving 10% or more, it means others are giving 0 or 1 or 2%. Again, I realize that every situation in here is unique, and so if 10% is completely out of your range right now, then pick some number. Pick some percentage. Right? Maybe it's 5%. Maybe it's 1%, right, to start. Get honest with the Lord about a number, pick a target, stick to it. And as you do, you'll begin to develop that regularity, and then maybe over time, whether it's months or even years, you can work your way towards expressing even more generosity through financial giving, right? So pick a percentage. And then finally, I would say this, aim for progress, right? The progress of the progress principle says that, yeah, shoot for the tithe, shoot to grow, but don't stop there, right? Again, it's clear in Scripture that God isn't concerned with some magic number, right? And I think this is especially true for those of us who have been in the church scene for a while, maybe who are giving regularly, that we've hit this and it's kind of become this point of pride for us or satisfaction and we're just kind of coasting now, right? You know, if anything, for us as Christians, 
under the freedom of the new covenant, you know, 10% shouldn't be a ceiling, but rather a floor, right? Not a destination, but a launching pad to continue to be a blessing to others. Again, different situations for all of us, different seasons of life, it ebbs and it flows. But the concept is the same, that we should never just get to a point of saying, okay, God, I've done this, and that's good enough. It's time for everyone else to pick up in the slack. It is what you have decided in your heart to give, right? There's no coasting in the Christian life. There's no, we made it this far. I'll take it from here. No, there's always these places where we're stretching and we're growing. And so maybe for some of us, it's just coming before the Lord. Maybe we really are in this habit. We're just saying, God, this is what we've been doing. Is that what you still want us to do? The same, less, more? Show us, right? Because I want to be open to your Spirit's leading. Make giving a priority. Pick a percentage and aim for progress. Why? Because becoming a generous person doesn't happen by accident or overnight. We must practice generosity on purpose. Which means that if you haven't been giving at all to the church, I would encourage you to just start somewhere, right? Just start somewhere. Maybe it's next Sunday and putting something in the offering plate. Maybe it's um, tearing off uh, you know, the comment card in the, on the bulletin and asking for giving envelopes. Maybe it's going to our website and clicking the Give tab and learning more about how to give online or just how we handle finances here at Hopefell, right? Just start somewhere. If you are giving, but like I said, it's inconsistent, sporadic, shoot to be more consistent. Make it a priority. Pick a percentage, then stick to the plan, right? And then for the rest of us, if we're already there giving regularly, just be open to what God wants you to do now and in the future. It may be staying and doing the same thing. It may be increasing the percentage. Whatever it is, it's just saying, okay, God, you said that a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. That's the life I want to be invited into. Because whatever we're supposed to do, that specific step is going to look different for all of us. And yet as we together practice purposeful generosity here in the church, guess what? It is going to grow our heart for people. It's going to free our hearts from stuff. And can you imagine the impact that God can have in our community, in our region, people who have large hearts and live open-handedly, who aren't so consumed and worried about stuff, they actually can look at others and love. See, when God has a church like that, its people are not only refreshed themselves, but they are refreshing others. Right, and again, we talked about it earlier, but the baptism testimonies from last Sunday, both in Saginaw and Bay City, 21 total, is just great evidence of us being a refreshing church and what would God have in store for us even more in impacting lives in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ as we practice purposeful and contagious generosity. Let's pray together. God, thank you. Thank you that you are a God who provides. Thank you that you are a God who is generous. Thank you that the Lord Jesus himself, though he was rich, became poor for us so that through his poverty we might know 
grace upon grace. The grace that has prospered us, that has freed us, that has forgiven us, that has refreshed us. Would you even anew today refresh us in your grace so that we ourselves would be refreshing people, that we would be a refreshing church? Lord, in a talk like this today and walking through passages, God, we just pray that as seed is sown, you would plant that in all of our hearts, including me, God, because this is about me. This is about the Davises. This is about our household and how we walk with you as well. Because, God, we want to be open-handed. We want to be large-hearted. We don't want it to be said of us that we're tight-fisted and hard-hearted. And so, God, may that be true of all of us that we look to you, that as we continue to celebrate your grace, you would grow our love for people, you would free our hearts from stuff, and that we truly would practice generosity, contagious generosity on purpose. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah, let's stand up and worship the Lord together before we go. This is a great prayer to pray after hearing that. Carrie's going to lead us. Let's go.
We need the Lord always. We're singing that in the, the, the verse of Amazing Grace came to mind where it says, it's your grace, Lord, that has brought me safe this far. And it's your grace that's gonna lead me home. We always need the Lord. And some of you today cannot stand. You're barely hanging on. So would you fall on Jesus? Because he is your hope and your stay. Next week, we'll talk more about contagious generosity. We'll also celebrate communion together as a church family. But as you go, may you go in the strength of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. God bless you.